Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are good, that you do good, and we've gathered simply to, to bless you, to bless your name, and to say that we're grateful for your infinite, eternal, altogether goodness to us. We know that every good and perfect gift comes down from you, and we want to say thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that when he said it is finished, he meant it. So I pray today, uh, as I empty myself and admit that I have nothing to feed your children with, I pray you'd fill me with your spirit, that you might give us ears to hear, hearts that are open. Father, as I read your word, that you through your spirit would you do your work in our hearts, that we might look more and more like Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome. Met a whole bunch of uh, first-timers, visitors, guests. So glad that you're here. Just want to say welcome to you. This is Hillside Fellowship. You found yourself with a group of people who believe that Jesus changes everything. And he starts by changing us. He changes us from the inside out and sends us out to be a people who stand out in a world that is truly freaking out. And so we're so glad that you're here. Um, my name is Dave. I'm a new creation, new creature in Christ. I'm a recovering addict and alcoholic. And, and I just believe if Jesus can change and save me, he can change and save anybody. So at Hillside, we love the Bible, and we open it up each week. We've been looking at Jesus in Genesis. And so if you'd open up your Bibles to Genesis 12, we'll look at verses really probably one through three this morning. Before I read it to you, though, I'm going to do a, something I don't normally do. I'm going to give you a, a preface to this. This passage is huge. This passage is huge, 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 huge. It's massive. It's mega. Uh, it's a big deal. I don't know how else to say it. I'm using all kinds of modify. If you miss Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three, you're, gonna, you're not going to understand what the rest of the Bible is about. This is God's plan to deal with our sin problem. Now, if you're just reading it, you can miss it. So let me, for the, the people who don't know Jesus, let me walk you through the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Genesis 1 and 2, God created everything and it's perfect. It was this garden, utter perfection, no sin. You were made for a garden with no sin. You weren't made for a jacked up world. God made that garden. Genesis 3, sin entered into the world. Epic mess started. Genesis 4, that sin spread to Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's family. Cain offs Abel, epic mess. Genesis 5, that sin spreads to everybody. Everybody was dying, even as through one man's sin entered the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all had sinned. Genesis 5, horrible. Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9, it got so bad, God had to flood this whole mug. He just wiped it out, started over. Genesis 10, Pastor Allen preached last week. Noah got a new start. Everything's better, right? No more sin? No. He gets drunk and naked like a frat boy and shows us sin still remains. I think that's a quote from Pastor Allen. <laughs> Sorry, Allen. Sin still remains. It's still an epic mess. We still have the sin problem. Genesis 11, it gets worse. We all get together and we're like, let's make a name for ourselves. We'll be, build a big tower and God has to confuse and spread out. So we've got this huge sin problem that you and I still have. Anybody here sinless? Nobody, anybody here not a hot mess? Oh, I thought you were raising your hand. You caught me up. Whoa. 
No, it's okay. We can be honest. Some of us don't think we are. And those are the, typically the ones that are really a hot mess. <laughs> what you're going to see today, I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm just going to slow down. Genesis 1 through 11, it's like, it's like fast forward through 2,000 years of world history showing you sin, 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 massive sin, massive mess. Now God slows down, he throttles back from Genesis 12 to the end of Genesis. It's only a couple hundred years. God slows down and he's like, let me show you my solution to your sin problem. So let me read it to you. Good, good enough on, on the, the, the precursor to this? Big deal. Big deal. Watch. Now, chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, any normal reader would say, Wait a minute, that's God's plan to the sin problem? I didn't even see anything spectacular in that. This is the plan? Sin has taken over the world and wrecked everything, and God's plan is to make a promise to some dude to be a great nation and to be a blessing to all the families of the earth? Yes. You may not understand how God rolls. Let me explain it to you. When God does something really, really, really big, he typically starts really small. And if you're not paying attention, you can miss it. He begins and says, guys, I've got a huge problem. We've got a sin problem, but I've got a solution. These are Alaskan pea seeds. Alaskan peas are big. He says, I've got a solution to your problem. And God will say, man, I have got the best solution ever. What I'm going to do I'm going to do something spectacular. Are you ready for it? Don't miss it. It's going to blow your mind. Are you prepared? There you go. <laughs> Enjoy. And God sits back. No, seriously. God is not in a hurry. He grows things. As humans, we're limited, so we're typically in a hurry, right? We want to come, to come to church, hear a sermon, fix my marriage with one sermon, preacher man. Dance for me, clown. <laughs> and we'll leave like, uh, that didn't fix my marriage. <laughs> like, that was like maybe a four. It just didn't convict me. And I'm like, it took you 32 years to jack it up. It might take a little time to undo that. And don't be deceived. God isn't mocked. If you've planted seeds of bitterness, anger, rage, hate for 32 years, it's going to take a long time to pluck those up and begin to plant healthy, good seeds of love and joy and peace and patience. When God wants to do something big, kids get this. He'll start very small and says, watch what I grow. That's why Jesus is always talking about parables of seeds and soil and dirt. In fact, before I go on with the little picture, do you know when God plants a seed in your heart? And he's going to plant seeds today because we're going to read the Bible. That's what he does. Do you know that seed? That seed's powerful. Anybody ever taken a class on carpology? Anybody ever heard of carpology? 
Seriously? You guys should have been raised in Oregon. That's just a study of seeds. Pedology? Anybody taking a class on pedology? The study of dirt? All right, we got, a lot of, we got a lot of work to do this morning. They call this an epic speaker fail when you miss everyone, 100%. It's hard to miss everybody. When a seed gets planted, do you know every soil has a pH level? Potens hydrogen. How much hydrogen is in the soil? If you've got too much, it's acidic. If you've got too little, it's alkaline. And that can kill a seed. Do you know our hearts have a pH level? Potential for humility or potential for haughtiness? Some of us has been to church for decades, and we're like, well, it doesn't work. Nothing happens. Well, if the Bible is being taught, something should happen, but it may be about the soil in our hearts. If it's taken over with pride, nothing's going to grow. If it's taken over with the love of possessions, nothing's going to grow. It's taken over with worries and cares and concerns of this world. Every seed that's planted actually tests the pH level in our hearts. Now, that's the big theological picture. God loves to grow things. When he wants to do something big, he often starts small like a baby in the manger in Bethlehem. Sin, on the other hand, if you read through this, you would see that sin loves to stunt growth. Do you know that? Sin loves to stop and stunt growth. It's what it loves to do. This is why, have you ever noticed many of your arguments in marriage are the same arguments you've been having since Carter was president? Jimmy Carter, might have heard of him. He was a president. Uh, and sin gets us stuck. We do the same thing over and over. We get stuck on stupid. Sin is stupid, and we get stuck on stupid. And ha- That's because whoever sins is a slave of sin, and we end up doing the same thing over and over. That's why the message of this book, the gospel, is such a profound, needed, life-giving, helpful, hopeful message that Christ Jesus was crucified for our sins according to the scripture, that Christ Jesus was buried, that Christ Jesus rose. And today, if you will simply humble yourself and get out of the director's seat and say, I've been trying to direct my own life. I've sinned. Will you forgive me? He will give you a new heart. He will take all of your sin. He will amend the pH level in your heart so that love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness can begin to grow. Does it happen in a hurry? No, but this is our problem. We want our kids to grow up and get out of the house in a hurry, but it takes 18 years, doesn't it? If you're lucky, it takes 18 years because they're not developed until 25, right? They can't even rent a car till 25. That's why they live in our basements. It takes time. God grows things. In Genesis, we've been looking at the truth. God's directing. He's writing and directing a story. He's inviting us into it. He's inviting us into it to allow him to grow in us, his son, Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to walk through this, and I'm going to show you in this. uh, When God wants to do something big, he starts very small. I know all of us have needs today. All of us are hurting. All of us have problems. And if you'll slow down and say, Lord Jesus, would you amend the pH level in, my, in my, the soil in my heart? James 1.21 says this, receive the implanted word that's able to save your souls. He wants to plant truth in us and he calls us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm gonna show you some truth today. One, we're gonna see through the life of Abraham, God pursues us. 
Two, I'm going to show you through the life of Abraham. After he pursues us, he points us in the right direction. After he points us in the right direction, I'm going to show you through the life of Abraham. He promises us that he's going to be working for good in and through our lives. And then I'm going to show you a very hopeful life-giving truth that God's very patient with us. So those are the four things we're going to look at as he plants seeds in the soil of our soul and grows us to look more like Jesus. So let's start out. Chapter 11, uh, Zuri, if you want to go to chapter 11, verse 29, 30, and 31, watch this. God, he's actively pursuing you this morning. I don't know if you know that. Many of us have been going to church for decades and we're like, I don't know, I feel like I'm pursuing God, that I'm chasing after God. God's never been lost. We have. And it's not like God's playing hide and go seek, like he wants to hide himself from you. Anybody play hide and go seek growing up? I did too. My brothers would say, you go hide, we'll seek. I would go hide and they would never seek me. How? No, and it literally scarred me. I thought I found the best hiding spot. I would sit in there for hours only to find out nobody was looking. And that's painful. I want you to know God's pursuing you. I want to show you through 29, 30, and 31. Watch this. Um, Abraham and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now watch verse 30. Here's a problem because Sarah was barren and she had no children, 31. Watch this, this is an important part. For those of you here who think you're too broken, you're too messed up, you've got too much of a past and too much problems for God to use, watch. Terah took Abraham, his son, and, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, and, and his son, Abraham's wife, and they went out together from, and I need you to say this with me with outdoor text and voices. They went together from, of the, yeah, Chaldeans, Chaldeans, I don't know, tomato, tomato. But here's the point. If you did a historical background study of Ur, of the Chaldeans, it's pretty astounding what you'd find out about where Terah and Abraham, where they grew up. I need you to know that if you study Ur of the Chaldeans, and in fact, cross-reference this with Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, which tells us that God called them, they were idol worshipers. Abraham and Terah were, were men who worshiped demons. In fact, in Ur, there was one of the largest ziggurats of idol worship. This is astounding that God, when he started his plan and planted a seed, he started out with a demon-worshiping, idol-loving, lost, fallen man. Isn't that messed up? But you're gonna find out, if I could go through every character in the Bible, you would find out that God has no straight sticks to work with. He just doesn't. They're all crooked sticks, and somehow he finds a way to draw straight lines with crooked sticks. It's astounding. I call it the American picker principle. Anybody watch Frank and Mike, American pickers? Anybody? Any fans? Raise your hand. Don't be embarrassed. We're the Mike fans. You guys like Mike? We're the Frank fans. Yeah, cat lovers. In, <laughs> is it? Yeah, I, anyway, that's a side note. That's a psychological study for another time. Mike and Frank will drive all over the country looking for stuff in people's barns and attics. They, they look for antiques and they will climb through the most nasty. They will look for the most roached out. That's their word. Man, look at this. It's so junked out. It's sexy. It's beautiful. What a beautiful antique. Totally roached out. 
That's what they look for. And there's great value in that to them. The more roached out, the more messed up, the better. Do you know in America, really since the 50s, we've thought that God uses wise, beautiful people. God uses very straight up, put together people. Do you know what that's led to in America? It's called dead, heartless, helpless, hopeless religion, where we all gather together and say, look how wonderful I am. Jesus is saying, get out of the director's chair because this is not about you. In fact, 1 Corinthians 1.27, I use the foolish things of this world, the broken things, the weak things, the things that are nothing in this world. I use those things to shame the wisdom of the wise. What we see in Abram from Ur of the Chaldees is this, and if I were you, I'd write it down. God is not put off by your past or your problems. He is put off by your pride. He's not put off by your past or your problems. Your problems, your sin is not greater than your savior. I need to say this again. Because many of you are here like, God can't use me, I'm broken, I'm messed up. Maybe God will use a pastor, they're better than me. There is none righteous, no, not one. And God is not put off by your past or your problems. He's put off by your pride that says, God can't use me. Therefore, I'm just gonna stay stuck in my sin. If you would humble yourself today, I guarantee you, he'll plant a seed in your heart that'll grow into beautiful things. So number one, God's pursuing you. I don't care who you are, how bad and busted up your past and your problems are. God's not opposed to your problems. He's opposed to your pride that would believe the lie of the enemy that says you can't be used. You can't be used. This is why we tend to make church about Sunday mornings instead of our workplaces and our communities because we don't believe this truth. God wants to use you right where you're at. He's put you there for a purpose. So he starts with Abraham from Ur of the Chaldees. Now watch what comes next. This is going to be hard for us. Stretch. This is going to be difficult, honestly. Then he points us in the direction we should go. Let me read it to you. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, watch this. Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Did you, get, did you get it? I read through it fast. Go forth from your country, your comfort spot, the place you know you're stomping ground. Go away from the place where you chill and watch Netflix. From your relatives, that's your, your family system and, and what you grew up with, what you're used to. And from your father's house, that is your inheritance, what you're looking forward to gaining to the land that I'll show you. I'm not even gonna show you where it is. Here's, here's the major point here. Have you ever noticed many of us go to church for decades and decades and we never grow? Anybody ever been there and you, you're okay being honest? It's like we go to church decades and decades and decades and we end up blaming the pastor or the people or the church or the songs or the programs. You know, oftentimes you've gotta let go in order to grow. Do you know oftentimes you've got to let go of something? Jesus is always asking us to let, let go so that we might grow because we hold on to those things we're comfortable with, those things we're used to, those things we find peace in, and we have to let go in order to grow. 
Jesus is always asking me to let go of stuff. Does he ask you to let go of stuff? It's incredibly painful. Last week it was coffee. Anybody ever been there? (sighs) I'm still not okay. Still not there. Headaches. But he says, I need you to let go. It's become a little bit too much. Now, this is difficult because in America, I'm just going to walk you through this. All of us have been raised with a certain belief structure. All of us believe that something or someone will give us security, significance, value, meaning, purpose, and worth. All of us believe that something will give us security, significance, value, meaning, purpose, and worth. Theologically, we call it identity. We typically get this from a young age. From our mom and dad, they tell us where happiness resides. Do you know upwards of 86% of Americans, if I asked you what you want today, do you know what 86% of Americans would say? I just want to be happy. We've, we've set happiness as our goal and desire. And we get that from the Declaration of Independence, don't we? When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to group to dissolve political bands that have connected us with another to assume among the powers of the earth a separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitles a decent respect to the, the opinions of mankind require that we should declare the reasons for the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights that among these are life. Yes. I'm free to pursue happiness. And the, the founders were so wise to leave it blank because we get to fill it in with happiness resides in what? And we all believe we can find happiness, so we begin to pursue happiness, and what we believe dictates and determines our behavior. Humans aren't difficult to understand. They're really not. What we believe dictates our behavior. When we get complicated is when we say we believe one thing and behave in a totally opposite way, which is just discontinuity. In this... Jesus meets us and says, I want you to know I'm going to need you to let go of that. I'm going to need you to let go of those idols, those things that you're holding on to. And that's difficult, isn't it? Because you have to change. It's called repentance, metanoia. I've got to change what I'm believing will bring happiness. That's why Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, whatever things were gain to me, these things I have counted as loss. I've had to let go. See, if you don't let go, you can't grow. Anybody's kids play on the monkey bars? They hold on, and when a kid is afraid, they won't let go. Even when you're there and you're saying, no, 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 let go, daddy's got you. They just keep holding on. And you can't save them, you can't help them if they won't let go. What's Jesus asking you to let go of today? What would it look like to get out of the director's seat and say, okay, You've pointed me in the way I should go. You've pursued me. Now you've pointed me. Now watch what he does next. He promises us. He's made us promises in the scripture. I'm going going to go through verses two and three. I'm going to look at the promises he made to Abraham. Three simple promises. Now this is beautiful because we get to put God to the test. We get to look back 4,000 years and say, did God keep his promises to Abraham? Isn't this an incredible thing? God made some very clear promises And now we get to test them and say, did God do those? You ready to put God to the test? That's not a trick question. We're just going to see if he kept his word. Maybe I said it wrong. Anyway, let's watch verses 2 and 3 and watch what unfolds here. Pull up chapter 12, verse 2. God says this, and I will make you, Abram, a great nation. Did God keep that promise? 
Let me walk, walk you through it. To have a great nation, you've got to have people, land, law, and a leader. If you miss this, you miss what the rest of the Old Testament is about. This literally outlines the entire Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi. Him giving them a people, him giving them land, him giving them a leader, him giving them the law. Leader dies, he'll bring in a new leader. Uh, people rebel, brings in more people. And so that's literally the Old Testament. Did he, give, did he make a great nation? Yeah, it's called Israel. It's an astounding nation. It's changed the face of the earth. If you just look at Nobel Prizes and world leaders who are Jewish, astounding. One of the greatest nations. So did, did God keep that promise? Yeah, cross it off. Awesome, God. Well done. Watch this one. I will bless you and make your name great. Has he made Abraham's name great? Yeah, more than you can realize. Do you know that today in the world, the world, the whole world, 60% of the world population points to Abraham and says they're, they're his father. Did you know that? Let me give you a two-minute rundown. So Abraham and Sarah were barren. They couldn't have kids. So they came up with a horrible idea. Hey, take Hagar. You can have a baby through Hagar. It'll all work out great. It never does. And it didn't hear. So Abraham and Hagar had a baby, Ishmael through Ishmael. We get Islam, the Muslim faith. So do you know all Islam points to Abraham and says, he's our father, it's our promise, the land is ours and the Temple Mount is ours. All Muslims. Do you know that then God gave Abraham and Sarah a baby named Isaac? Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had a bunch of kids, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Gad, Ishakar, Zebulun, Naphtali, Asher, clear through Joseph and Benjamin. One of them was Judah. The Udites, the Jews came from, from Judah. Do you know that all Jews point back? All Jews point back to Abraham and say, the promise is ours. He's our father. The land is ours. The temple, temple mount is ours. And this has led to a little conflict over the years in the Middle East. I don't know if you've Maybe you've read about that, right? They all point back to Abraham. Christians, Galatians chapter three, uh, John chapter eight, we've jumped to the front of the line and said, we're of the line of faith. Jesus said, hey, listen, you, you Jews, you're not walking by faith. It's not about physical lineage. It's about Hebrews eleven eight, walking by faith. So Christians jump to the front of the line and say, our father's Abraham by faith. So all Christians worldwide point to Abraham. Has he made Abraham's name great? Yes. Check that one off. And he says, and so you shall be a blessing. Pull up verse three. Uh, and I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, you go clear down to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you open up to Matthew, it says the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus was born through the line of Abraham. Knowing our sin problem and the fact that we face death, has Jesus blessed all the families of the earth? Let me ask it a different way. How many of you enjoyed Christmas break this year? Right, everybody? Like the whole world? Jesus continues to be a blessing. So has God kept his promise? Absolutely, because God always keeps his promises. This is not about what we can do. It is about what he can do. Notice these promises are one way. God says, I will, I will, I will, I will. And guess what God does? He does it. Question, why do we struggle to trust God then? 
If we can go back and see, he always does what he says. Why do we struggle to trust him? Have you ever struggled to trust him? Anybody? Honestly? Why do we struggle to trust him if he always does what he says? I think it's because we're raised in America where we actually have to have an FCC, Federal Communications Commission, truth in advertising. Do we not get lied to every day? All the time? I call it the thigh master conundrum. How many people bought a thigh master? Is it, why is that funny? Tell me you guys never had a thigh master, honestly. Nobody's gonna cop it. I got one up in my office if you wanna borrow it. Here's the thing. We, we watch these nighttime commercials and we're like, oh, I want, <laughs> sorry, totally inappropriate, third service, it just, ha- I want my inner thighs to be more tote, I don't, toned, toned, toned is what I, let's get off this topic. I'm getting red flags over and over in my mind, like, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. And so the thigh master says, well, you can, Tone your inner thighs. The problem is it actually works your outer hip flexors. And so it's not gonna tone the inner thighs. That's why when you buy the thigh master and you get the instructions out, it says, results may... Oh, you did buy one. Busted, y'all. Golly, you got them. Results may vary. That's a way of saying, hey, we may have lied in the advertisement, but thanks for buying the thigh master for two payments of $19.99. But results may vary. We literally, have we not, we've been lied to from the top down, from leadership down, from advertising. We just call that capitalism, right? We just push the line. That's why my kids, even when I'm driving, they're like, dad, why, are they, why do they talk so fast at the end of the ad? Even my kids get on. It's like, because that's where they try and correct everything they just lied about. <laughs> Genuinely. So they can say, no, we, we told you the truth. Results may vary. You see, so many of us have been lied to by people close to us, by friends, by family, by people over us. And now we project that and apply that to God. Well, when God says, faithful is he who called you, he will bring it to pass. I don't know if I can trust him. See, I've got the thigh master conundrum. I don't know if I can trust anymore. When God says, he who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Christ Jesus, we say, I don't know. I haven't seen. He planted a seed. Still don't see any roots. It's just not going that fast, is it? I don't know if I can trust him. When he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You say, I'm not sure he can use me. I just don't know that much. Friends, the Christian life is not about you and what you can do. It's not about me and what I can do. It's about him and what he can do. And he always does what he says he'll do. So he pursues us. He's a good shepherd. He found a way to leave heaven, wrap himself in a human pod and come find us. Isn't he good? Not only, not only does he pursue us. The scriptures tell us he points us in the right directions and says, let go so you can grow. Then he promises us, trust me, watch me work. Watch me plant a seed and watch that seed grow. I'm out of time, so I'm going to wrap up with how patient he is. Verses four and five totally mess me up. I'm doing good. I'm doing good, Robert, up to verses four and five. My mind starts wigging out on verses four and five. 
Watch, what, watch how patient God is with us. Does anybody realize how patient God is? I mean, he makes stuff super duper clear. It's no wonder 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that he calls us his children. I don't care how old you are, he calls you his child. Abraham's in his 70s here, watch. Watch verse 4, here's my problem. So Abraham went forth as the Lord has spoken. So far, so good? So far, so good. I need to know, like, Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken. Are we doing good so far? All right, amen. And wait, now there's a connective conjunction. Do you see it? He went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, semicolon, connective conjunction, and Lot went with him. This breaks grammatical rules. This breaks the rules of narrative and story. You can't just throw Lot into the story. Now, we don't know who Lot is. Who is Lot? Why do we have a Lot here? What? Well, watch, it gets worse from here. And Lot went with him. So now Abraham's got a Lot tagging along. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So now I'm like, well, I thought I read, leave your country, your family, your relatives, your father's house. This is getting a little iffy. It's getting a little sketchy. Let's read verse 5 and see where this goes. Abraham took Sarah's wife. Okay. Another connective conjunction. Lee, and Lot, his what? What's a nephew? His family? Oh, no, you're kidding me. Now I got to go back to verse one. Leave your country and your, not just your family, your relatives. Is a nephew a relative? What is going on here? Anybody ever feel like they're going to lose their ever-loving mind raising kids? <laughs> Thanks, Robert. We love them. They're so sweet. And there's kids here. We love you. Totally for you guys. This isn't about you, James and John. We love you guys. But it's hard being a kid, isn't it? Mom and dad say, hey, take your socks upstairs. You grab your socks and turn around and you see your Game Boy. No, they don't have Game Boys anymore. What is it? Whatever it is. What if we played Game Boys and they were good, amen? That's when video games were video games. Back in the good old days, kids, you don't even know. We had Donkey Kong and whatnot. <clears throat> the kid turns around, still has the socks in his hand. He'll drop the socks and be like, oh, there's my, there's my Game Boy. And they've totally forgotten everything you've said to them. So much so I can be standing there and say, do you remember what daddy just said to you? No. Did you say anything, Father? <laughs> I don't remember you speaking. This is so weird. I saw my game boy and it was, it was just, I don't, I don't know, Dad. And you're stuck. You're like, I'm going to lose my mind. How many times have I got to say it? Kids are incredibly foolish. Uh, the Proverbs talk about, I know it's painful, isn't it? So sorry. But it's true. How many of you did foolish things as kids? Thank you for your honesty. I did too. I grew up with two other brothers. We did foolish stuff that I look back on. I'm, I'm surprised kids survive. Honestly, it's a miracle. Because my brothers and I, mom and dad, and they're watching, and they're great parents. 
We used to chew gum, and I would go to sleep with gum in my mouth, and it would fall out and get stuck in my hair. And all my class pictures looked like Edward Scissorhands went crazy up in this mug. So mom and dad just passed the rule. No more On Saturdays, when you guys get your allowance of 25 cents, you can't buy any more gum. So we couldn't buy gum anymore. But my brothers and I had a plan. We call it sidewalk snacks. And... True story. I don't think you could do it in Texas because the heat melts all the gum. But in Oregon, do you know adults, when they're done with their gum, they just spit it out? You're acting like you've never done anything like this, Walt. Never? Honestly, never done anything like it. Well, I feel alone and a little bit of shame. But not much. Why else do people put gum underneath a table other than a kid to enjoy it later? So my brothers and I, we would collect, we would scrape off the ground. We would keep a mental note on our way to school. Hey, there's a treasure about 100 meters back. Remember where that's at. And I don't think I'm alone in this. We can laugh about it, and some of you look like you're going to vomit, and I apologize for that. I'm feeling it a little bit myself, just looking at it. But please don't, because if one does, it spreads. So I look at Abraham, and I'm like, you took it. You took your nephew, God just said, don't. The Lord showed up and said, don't. Leave your family, leave your home, leave your relatives, leave everything. This is one of the greatest gifts my parents ever gave me when I was getting away from methamphetamine. My dad came and picked me up and I started packing up all my trash. And dad said, leave it all. We'll get you new clothes, you're gonna start over. And that's what God says, you gotta let go if you're gonna grow, leave it all. Do you know how incredibly patient God is with us? You see, some of you are like, well, I started out with a misstep. I haven't followed perfectly. None of us do, and God is so gracious. He took his, his lot, his nephew, and watch this, and all their, yeah, he loaded up his U-Hauls. Load it all up, boys. We don't know where we're going and how long the trip is. Pack it all up. Let's go down to the storage center and get all that stuff out that we pay a lot to store that we don't use or don't need. He got it all, took him, and, and Lot brought all his stuff too, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. Here's, here's where I'm going with this. Man, some of you have taken a wrong turn. You've trusted Jesus. You've gotten off the path. You, you've, you've been incredibly foolish not following him. I've been there. You've been there. God's incredibly patient with us. He calls us his children. And even in our foolishness, I want you to know he is still incredibly faithful. Even in your foolishness. See, the enemy will meet me in my foolishness and say, you should give up, you should quit, you're worthless. God doesn't love you. God's disgusted with you. And God says, no, I'm incredibly patient with my kids. Listen, one of the greatest men who has ever lived, Abraham, started off on the wrong foot. If Abraham can do it, and if David messed it up. And if those are the two people in the line of the Messiah, I want you to know he's incredibly patient with us. I don't care about your past. I don't care about your problems. Your sin is not greater than your savior. If nothing else, I want you to run to Jesus and surrender your life to Jesus because he can use you today. He longs to use you. And here's the beauty. When he plants a seed, generally you will not even know he used you to plant a seed. Abraham's just a picture of Jesus. Jesus left heaven, left everything. He came, he laid his life down, and he became nothing. 
John chapter 12, unless a grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains alone, but if it falls in the ground and dies, there's an incredible harvest. He's just calling you to come lay your life down, get out of the director's seat. He'll do incredible things through your life. Oh, you won't know it. You won't know it. When you get out of the director's seat and allow him to direct your life, you will not know it, I guarantee you. But he'll use you to plant seeds. Have I ever told you how I ended up in Texas? Well, I'm even here. See, it was 1996, it was a weird year. The Macarena had just come out. <laughs> People were doing all kinds of weird, like it was a weird year, man. I used drugs just to try and get sane. I was, I had reached a point of addiction and I had been up for days. I don't know how long, but when you're up for days, you get paranoid and I locked myself in the house. All of a sudden there was a knock on the door. When you're paranoid, you think it's the feds, you think it's the cops, you think it's somebody there for you. I went downstairs and looked through uh, just the blinds. There's a little girl, looked like she was 19 years old, curly hair. She had bags on her arm and she had a plastic bag in her left hand that she had knocked with. She didn't look like a threat, she didn't look like a fed. I opened the door just a little bit and said, I don't wanna talk. Her response was astounding. She said, neither do I. I just want to give you this gift. She reached her hand out and her left hand was shaking. And I remember that because it registered with me. This girl has enough courage to knock on the door of a house that she knows probably meth heads live in. And I bet her dad is upset at her. She held out her hand and she said, this is for you. I grabbed it, shut the door, went upstairs. And in that bag, there was a candy bar, a Hershey's bar. And when you're strung out, that's a buffet, y'all. And I ate it. And I don't even like chocolate, but I ate it. There was a pen in there and to a tweaker, a pen is like Disneyland. There's a lot to play with there. And there was a book called More Than a Carpenter. You see, that day, God used that girl, and I don't even know her name, he used that girl to plant a seed. It was her confidence and her courage. She was overcoming her fear by knocking on that door. I'm sure she went back to the meeting and said, you guys aren't gonna believe this. I knocked on a house of a meth head. He came out, it's freaked me out. She probably had to get counseling from the trauma I gave to that poor girl. But that day, God used her courage, her confidence to plant a seed in my heart. She'll never know it, y'all. I tell the story once every few years, hoping that somebody from Campus Crusade in Oregon at Oregon State, because that girl didn't know it. I'm sure she went home and felt like a failure. How did I say I don't want to talk either? What a failure. God, I'm sorry. But that day, her courage cracked part of my heart. And a ray of light, a seed got planted where I said, I'm living for myself and I'm filled with fear. That girl's got a courage I don't even have. I began to call on the name of the Lord, help me. You see, God loves to grow things. He loves to grow us. And he calls us not just to come and be comfortable, but to be ambassadors, to get out of the director's seat and say, Lord Jesus, would you direct the story of my life? Because when you will, it's not about you and what you can do. It's about him and what he can do through you. And as you do, he will direct your life and put you exactly where you need to be and you'll begin to plant seeds that grow 
in other people's hearts. Do they grow quick? No. No, God's not in a hurry. He loves to grow things. Today, by God's grace, will you choose to get out of the director's seat and say, God, would you grow something through my life that brings you a lot of glory? He'll do it. You know, one of the things he said was, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. How many people feel comfortable being a fisher of men? Yeah, not many of us. It's like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. You don't need to. You follow him and he'll put the words in your mouth and he'll put your feet at the right location and say, now, watch what I can do through somebody who's gotten out of the director's chair. Let's sing and let's pray to him now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the time you've given us today. Thank you for your incredible abundant love through your son. The fact that you can use bent and broken sticks to draw straight lines is astounding. Father, thank you for pursuing us, for loving us, even in the midst of our problems and pain. And I pray today that you would give soft hearts, that you would amend the pH soil of our, the soil of our soul, that the truth might grow in us and the light might shine through us. For your glory, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.